Alrighty then, hello there and welcome to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Uh, Adam, your connection sounds pretty good considering you're in Davos, right? Aren't you there right now? Oh, no? oh they, they, can't, they can't get anything done without me. <laughs> <I'd>, <laughs> when, you, when you think of Look, the, world... the rebel were there, you know, that or rebel news. <laughs> that the rest of us should be able to get a press pass if that's well i mean it, it's it's not cheap to go there um and, you know I've, I've i've thought about going to sundance before and i've bulked at the prices so i can only imagine what it costs to go to davos <laughs> and you wonder who's footing the bill for the rebel oh yeah yeah for the rebel it's it's definitely not the people who fund Guelph Politico, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, not that Did I don't love people who fund Guelph Politico. <laughs> not that I don't love the donors. I love the donors. Uh, open source is the CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at five PM as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians, which this week will be Ward Three City Councilor Phil Alt who is going to share with us his thoughts about the budget meeting that's taking place next week and some of the considerations that he and his colleagues will be sorting out in the horseshoe all day Wednesday. Um, So stay tuned for those insights. That's going to be at the bottom half of the hour. Before that, we're going to talk about some news from the last week, including fund the police. The Guelph Police Services is asking for and will likely receive a $50 million addition to the 2023 budget in toronto so uh what happened to all that talk about defunding the police in 2020 that's gonna be in a bit we're gonna first kick things off with uh good news doug ford solved the healthcare crisis <laughs> he did it we we we, we didn't we, we all doubted him but he did it he Get solved it, it. yeah he got it done out. he got it done <laughs> um <laughs> uh yeah no uh if you missed the announcement on monday uh doug ford and sylvie jones uh went to uh kensington market clinic uh private clinic in kensington market i think that that was the location of this press conference where they revealed a three-step plan to have more health care and have more procedures um some of the lighter procedures, I guess you might say, the less invasive procedures, be handled by private health clerk healthcare clinics, or this uh, acronym I, I learned IHF, which stands for Independent Healthcare Facilities. And uh, essentially, we are going to lean more on private healthcare facilities um, in order to clear the surgical backlog. The last number pegged at something like a million procedures people are waiting in the queue to get so uh this has obviously caused a lot of consternation uh, a lot of people are worried about the further privatization of healthcare. a lot of people are making the point that actually our healthcare system has been ha- has enjoyed um some real private advantages for some time and uh this is kind of furthering that uh but yeah a lot of people are worried this week about uh you know getting their cataract surgery and whether they're going to get the top of the line cataract surgery or the uh basic that i guess maybe that can we call it the no name cataract surgery 
Zare's garden center is going to be converted to a cataract clinic or something, right? <laughs> Zare's a division of blah, blah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And interestingly, I'd, you probably saw a bit of it. It was a clip making the rounds of, of Sylvia Jones on CBC. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's probably never going back. <laughs> she used, uh, when asked about the upselling question, she said, I don't call it upselling. We call it patient opposite. Oh, so they've got a name for everything. I'm, I'm sure somebody got a lot of money to come up with that, that yeah. uh, acronym. Like when all else fails, throw an acronym at it. But yeah. yeah um, there's, there's a consultant who's enjoying a very nice Mexican yeah. vacation right now. I don't know if it's McKinsey, but we'll talk about that <laughs> another day too. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, no one should be shocked by this. There's always this, oh, I can't believe this. And as you said, there is a level of what you could call privatization in provincial healthcare. A lot of it's been around for a long time. A good example is eyes and cataracts. Uh, one of the um, hardcore lobbyists and friends of the conservative government is the Herzig Eye Institute, which everybody knows he used to advertise the heck out of it. And it's been around for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's from Press Progress saying you know they've they've done all this lobbying and boom look what's at the top of the list it's cataracts but it also a simpler procedure like that will make numbers look good so they can say we're going to clear fourteen thousand x number of surgeries off of the books but that's not the there are obviously certain things that need to be in a hospital environment let's say i don't know heart transplant Mm. does a heart transplant and a set of cataracts count as one and believe me, I'm not trying to diminish cataracts. It's very important. Cataract, like cataract surgery is important. And if they can clear the books, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But do they do that with this slippery slope? Or is there another way? Like, could you not run uh, spaces uh, full out 24-7? You could, and that would be a good option. But since everything is slammed, mm-hmm. and everything is maxed out, and you're pulling physicians away to go work in the crisis in the emergency room, which I will add is in no way addressed by this. Right. It doesn't yeah. fix getting cataracts done or an MRI, CAT scans, whatever they're going to farm out more does not fix what's going on in emergency rooms right now. And that is the problem. This is smoke and mirror stuff, but also behind the smoke is looming privatization and make no mistake about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It- it, it struck me as I was sort of preparing for this show, you know, this announcement, like, well, we're creating more surgical space, you know, so problem solved. I mean, where have we kind of heard that before? And if this was at the, I was watching the press conference too. So, you know, you have all this fluffing for, by both Ford and Jones talking about, well, we've created and such a- Doug Ford coughing, by the way. Did you notice that? Wearing a mask. Yeah. Wearing a mask and coughing as, as uh, Sylvia Jones spoke. I mean, there's no editing required. It's like, okay. Yeah, kind of brutal. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, where have we heard this before? You know, when they talk about we've added such and such number of beds to the system, and you have all these people saying, "Well, that's great," but you know, beds don't. You, you need people to service the beds. You need staff to help patients in beds. Yeah, it's great that maybe someone's out of the hallway and into a uh, a room with a bed and all that instead of on a gurney in the middle of the hallway, but. You know who's helping them out. You know who are we. You know who's being hired. And then you have the whole thing with Bill One Twenty Four too. And it was over the holidays that the province announced that they've they've gone ahead and appealed that constitutional ruling that said One Twenty Four was unconstitutional. So yeah, yeah, it's a people problem. You can create all the space you want. It's a people problem. And 
you know, where are you going to get? Where are these all these private surgical spaces going to get people from? I know it's the public system that's already suffering with not having not enough not enough medical professionals on hand. And because if the whole thing was about creating space, um, there are options for that. The London Health Sciences Center has been experimenting with creating like these kind of day clinics in the hospitals where you can get the you know, the hernia operations or the cataract surgery or the the CT scan or the MRI or whatever it is, these like quick procedures that you don't necessarily need a whole operating suite for. Mm-hmm. Um, and then having those on the, on, on the, and it essentially does the same thing this does. So you have all these procedures going on at the day clinics or the, the day sites uh, downstairs while upstairs in the actual ORs, you have all the serious, uh, more in, intensive procedures like, transplants and knee replacements and and this sort of thing so you know it 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 just doesn't pass the smell test it just you know why are we automatically going to the private clinics um if if the if space is the concern you can make space hospitals um are, are pretty good at adapting um and then uh that press progress article you're talking about you know uh, maybe it wasn't it was a maybe it was crowley at the cbc who made this point you know we're talking about Cataract surgeries, six hundred fifty dollars a pop, uh, thousands of procedures a year. Basically, it comes out to like sixty million dollars for cataract surgeries alone in any given year. One hundred fifty thousand procedures, six hundred fifty six hundred fifty dollars a pop, ninety million dollars. So I I, I lowballed it. So you know, ninety million dollars for the private sector, not too shabby. No, and if I hear that line again about your OHIP card and not your credit card, I'm gonna oh lose my, God. my mind. Every yeah. time he, it wouldn't matter what they're talking about. It could be talking about something highways. It'll come up, and that's the pat answer to that question. But just as a translation, friends, if you hear, and this goes with anything with this gang, <laughs> finding efficiencies, mm-hmm. getting creative, mm-hmm. saying the word innovation over and over, mm-hmm. or the words alternate health facility, it mm-hmm. means private and with that goes a certain set of things which includes okay you use your OHIP card but the price is definitely gonna be different and that business about upselling is not incorrect right so it's funny because the post is like oh the left has gone berserk it's like (laughs) i think the left are giving a buyer beware to this knowing Mm -hmm. full well that there there are these this um the separate channel that exists Right. But when you're like, if, if you said to somebody who's working in a hospital right now, who's completely slammed, let's just say a nurse on an emergency ward, mm-hmm. there's a private clinic that says, you know what, come work for me. It'll be regular hours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, pain benefits will be the same. There might be a bit of overtime if there's a problem and you can go home to your family on the weekend. Why would you not say yes to that? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But that's, it- you know, that that's not. A ton of people, because right now, what are the problems? People sidelined due to COVID and Mm. people leaving because of burnout. And, Mm. well, I guess the third thing would be people being redeployed from doing things like cataract surgery and and hips and whatnot and having to be in the emergency ward because they are slammed. That's Mm. the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, talk about these weasel words. Um, if you watch the whole press conference, like they had to corner Jones, like the 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 reporters, um, I think it was asked about. I wasn't keeping score, um, in, with like a pad and pencil or anything, but it just it seemed like it came up five or six times. Somebody was asking Sylvia Jones, like, um, are are you gonna 
are they going to be allowed to upsell? Are they going to be allowed to upsell? Are they going to be allowed to upsell? And she dodged, dodged, dodged. And the other thing that they that her and Ford dodged a lot was like, is this a permanent change? And I mean, these questions tell you a lot because this is where like sort of the gray zone is. You can make a case for if it is a space issue, and we've already talked about how it's not a space issue, but if it is a space and facility issue, you can make up argument saying in order to clear like all of these like minor procedures, we have a huge backlog. We're going to tap the resources of the private sector for 16 months and we're going to put a huge dent in the backlog and and then, and then you know we can hopefully give our hospital peeps a break and and you know hopefully by then you know, the pandemic will f- have further tapered off and we'll be back to like sort of a regular cold and flu season and all these other things but they wouldn't they kept trying media kept trying to push him into the corner and yeah. they kept dan- trying to tap dance away from the corner and you know the most i i, I think the most disingenuous part of uh, of of all of this is is that they wouldn't she wouldn't say no to upselling until like finally she she had you know they finally got her cornered and and even still at that she wouldn't say no to the uh to the upselling it's just that there's going to be two stands of care to these things and um i mean hey and if if, if this was like really something that the ford government thought people would get line up behind it would have been in a freaking election platform like the green belt thing and this is becoming a disturbing trend as well mm-hmm. we have the, i mean and that was in the news My on friends. wednesday too yeah yeah that uh the the integrity commissioner and the auditor general are going to be investigating the the green belt deal there <laughs> looks like stephen clark's the fall guy but uh not ford but still it, i mean that's under investigation too we're not going to touch the green belt uh and, until we do uh you're not going to need your credit card until you do, and I wish I would. I wish I'd been there, and I would, or I wish a reporter had asked that. It's like when he, when Doug Ford's like, "I promise you're you're going to use your OHIP card, not your credit card." Some reporter had said, "Is that the same promise you made about a green belt, or is that a different promise?" Mm. Because I mean, that's, I mean, we, we've seen what Doug Ford's promises are worth. Yeah, please, the friends, race to the bottom because the lowest healthcare spending in Canada, lowest hospital funding, lowest beds per capita. It's code black everywhere, as I said already. Mm. Something that hasn't even been addressed in this is long-term care. When is a hospital mm. not a hospital? When it's a long-term care facility, but it is still hospital style. We forgot about long-term care. But yeah, but that's you know covered in Bill 37. What what did that say? More for-profit in a system that killed people en masse mm-hmm. since 2020 continues to do so. We just yeah, so I mean- so people like Mike Harris and and the friends, ex-conservative, whatever in the system, still Chartwell. conservative, yeah. Yeah. milking dying people for money. That is what's going on. Those yeah. are the questions that need to be asked. Maybe that's why we do it. Yeah, no, I, it, it's it's something I've tried to get back on too. Is um, looking at these outbreak reports at, at the local facilities because um, before the holidays, it was COVID, it was RSV, it was um, you, you know, th- there's still issues there that we, we kind of just don't talk about. And uh, I mean, if, if anything else, maybe Doug Ford has done us a favor and, you know, t- getting, getting us to take a good hard look at the healthcare system by being so obvious about what his intentions are, even if he won't admit it, but uh, we'll have to leave that there for this week. Um, we're going to stay sort of local with uh, what's going on in Toronto, the Toronto police budget, um is 
looks like it's going to go up by a little less than $50 million. I think that it has been approved at a board level. It waits for the city council meeting, I believe, in early February to make it final. $16 billion budget to run the city of Toronto. And $1.1 billion is the price tag for police. So one, one, $1 out of every $16 of your taxes in Toronto goes to policing. Uh, obviously, this has caused uh, a lot of these communities, uh, marginalized people, people of color in Toronto, to feel like uh, all that talk about uh, police reform, even last summer with the uh, the former police chief, uh, Raymer, apologizing for racial profiling and um, mistakes made by the police service in terms of targeting uh, racialized populations. Um, and, you know, here we are uh, looking at hiring you know, uh, 1.1 billion more police officers. Yeah. And I guess when this was presented at Toronto council was like 200 people signed up to speak on it. Yeah. I'm not sure what the balance was in terms of for and against. I'm going to assume that most of them were against, and there's some clips have have come out. Let me speak to my own city council experience. Um, you always get more people, (laughs) <laughs> one one way or the other if you yeah. get 200 people on or even 30 people like and to think about the Guelph examples if you get 30 people on a delegation list they're either 29 to 1 in favor or 1 to 29 <laughs> against <laughs> so, yeah Tori's doing the classic thing of chucking money at the cops to make it look like something's happening mm-hmm. it was this they I, was it 75 million the, the gangs division got which is but it's usually these things are usually based on something will happen and then they will throw money at it but mm-hmm. that something happening doesn't include you know getting tased in the neck at U of T but that was a couple of years ago but anyway that's also very uh, current right now everyone every department will be asked to find efficiencies Ford did this with the same with talking green belt it's like well you know it'll give the season opportunity to, to cut waste because they need to make up the money that we've taken from them right police are the only ones that are never asked to find efficiencies right 90 percent of what the police get of this budget is salaries now if it was 90 percent of the nurses budget was salaries and 90 percent of the teachers budget so they'd be like oh that's too high they're mm-hmm. spoiled police mm-hmm. no you cannot say anything bad you can't even comment good or bad right it's like you're supposed to have an open discussion about these things but if you say anything that sounds like you know defund or ftp that's it i'm not saying that right now i'm just saying it's a hell of a lot of money like the, the opp budget is 1.1 billion so toronto's cop budget and the provinces are the same mm-hmm. the territory that they have to t- to cover Mm -hmm. but does you know is this is this extra 48 million going to help people stay safe is it going to increase safety is it going to do all these things i don't i don't think it is Mm -hmm. yeah until they have a sit down and say well where can we you know the classic thing everyone else needs to find efficiencies or find different ways of doing different (laughs) different options I'm sounding like conservative all of a sudden, but you know what I mean? <laughs> it should apply universally. If that's what you're doing to the rest of the sectors mm-hmm. within the tax base who are paying for it, then you need to take a good hard look at what you're doing. It's like, why do you need six tent, six tenths, sorry, six cops to take a tent down in front of a condo in Toronto that's that's bothering people due to its optics? Why does that mm-hmm. take six or eight police? Mm-hmm. You know, these kinds of things. Why does it take police at all? 
Well, um, that, that is a, that is a valid question too. Don't get me wrong, obviously. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's uh, yeah, it's. Well, it I came at- stuff, you see lots more special constables out there. They 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 work for less money. Um, you know, I came across help? probably not because they're you know they're near police, right? No, they I decide came across- to be- behave like police and attack people, like the <gasps> hospital uh, incident where what's that lawsuit for? Sixteen million now, I think. Mm-hmm. A hospital incident. They weren't police; it was security, right? So these, it's police, police versus policing. Hmm. Are are almost different topics. We always conflate them. You have to. Well, I came across a, a report from the Edmonton uh, city of Edmonton uh, that we're looking at the police policing there, and it you know it turns out thirty two percent of calls um, that that the Edmonton Police Service responded to with an in person officer um, involved no crime at all. So one third of all the calls that Edmonton police responded to and didn't involve a crime. Well, why are you calling police if it's not a crime? Well, the answer to that is simple. Um, police are there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's, it's kind of a crutch in a lot of ways. And if there was a commensurate service where, you know, mental health workers, like people with, you know, doctorates and and therapist licenses you know had a had a little like ambulance building somewhere where somebody gets a call like help i'm in crisis you can you know they slide down the pole and get in the vehicle hit the siren and and blaze out of there but of course that would uh that would be a massive shift in in sort of the way we approach these things and and this is on you know giving more money to the police is is only ever kind of a band-aid and it's the worst kind of band-aid because people are, and this is this is kind of a, a, a reflection of sort of white settler society, mm-hmm. very kind of um, you know affirming of of police. You don't find a lot of white people who don't like the police <laughs> to be for being brutally, brutally, brutally honest. Um, you know, the other part of this is is that police operate out of and a lot of people listening may be aware of this police operate on an entirely different rule book when it comes to oversight police oh. says this is our budget and the yeah. city says can either say okay or they can say no find efficiencies take it back but the police will just turn around and go to um you know the police oversight board at the province and the that board will say no city you pay what the police tell you you have to pay mm-hmm. and well, that's for- uh, yeah go ahead ford always says yeah, the police budget's always being chopped. He said mm-hmm. it more than once at mm-hmm. one of his pressers. No, it isn't. No, it, it's not. It is absolutely not always being chopped. Mm-hmm. It's true that there are people always talking about it, saying, you know, you could kind of maybe sort of look at it, but as you said, it, 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 structurally, it's very hard to do that. And you mm-hmm. seem, you know, you seem as if you're like anti-law and order or whatever. If you if you critique it at all, even to right. like a small degree, or to the degree of like, uh, well, let's say Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. But those calls you're talking about Edmonton, what is that? Is that is it people walking around while black? I bet you a lot of it is. Mm-hmm. And this or- is the problem. I remember the days you probably do too, Adam, where people solve things without just immediately reverting to the police. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that go on now. Is like. People will, I mean, I'm, you know, the Karen example of which I, and I hate that phrase too, but that's a bad example 
but people get on their damn phones and like, we're going to call the police. Mm-hmm. And they do. And the police have to respond, right? And it's like, uh, and that's almost a minor segment of what's going on. It's, it's, it's wrong for sure. There are lots of calls to 911 that are just like, well, why are you doing this? Um, <laughs> but then there, you know, there, there is obviously next level stuff too. But yeah, it's, you know, to, to say that we can't really, you know, we just need to maintain the thin blue line. And we can't talk about it. Well, there's uh, lots of calls to police where it's like my, my friend or relative is in having a mental health oh, crisis yeah. Yeah. or there's like my, um, my dementia. And then they end up dead because the police came or, you know, things like my dementia adult father, you know, I turned my back for one minute cause you know, I'm being split five different ways and I turn my yeah. back and he's gone and, and I can't find him. And, you know, so th- th- there's a, there's a lot of social services um, that's, that's sort of being requested of, of, policing and and again that's not the police the police's job is to um deliver justice and and to intervene when crimes are committed it, it, police are not social service and you know uh, no. chief kobe of our our own local police talked about this and i, I think you know to, to get that police perspective is kind of valuable too that he says like you know we're there 24 7 so we're, we're <laughs> you can pick up the call phone and call 911 and we're there the the trick is how do you how do we start that transition? But I don't think you know throwing money at the police, more money. Um, yeah, I understand why that's kind of an impulse. But on the other hand, I it, this was kind of a, a day of grand epiphanies for me. But I was also thinking a lot about you know the traffic issues um, when tra- when roads get full. Yep. W- what's the response? Build another road. Build another parking lot. Well, that doesn't solve those traffic issues. That just creates more traffic because people are like, oh, there's a whole new road. Now we can, you know, get another car and it's no big deal. So it I, I I'm not saying the the situations are the same, but I, I think there, there's definitely a strong analogy here. Just you know, solving the problem by throwing more policing at it at is I think counterintuitive in the same ways that so, trying to solve traffic by throwing more roads at it is counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. Or more money. Yeah. Yeah, and part of it too, I mean Though there's pol- super politics being played with this right now with that letter that was sent to the feds about bail. Right. And people getting bail. But there is a reason, some very specific reasons as to why people aren't on bail. And this, I'm not speaking to the, the specifics of the Pachala case, which is terrible. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. Mm-hmm. But the, it's always like, why are people out on bail? Mm-hmm. Because their lawyer, lawyer will go to car- court and argue and say, that system is collapsing. My client who has presumed innocence is going to be thrown into this maxed out jail with poor services crammed in. Well, guess who runs most of those jails? Mm-hmm. The province. It isn't Trudeau. It always comes out, we need to go to Trudeau. We need to get this. We need to get done. Even Polly, I've jumped on the bandwagon. It's like, oh, this is, you know, this is terrible. It's blah, blah. <laughs> if they want people on bail, they need to create spaces for people to be on bail. So you mm-hmm. wonder if the next step is going to be, well, let's, we should just build a private, build more jails, yeah. private jail for people so they can be on bail. Yeah. 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 The Galen Weston detention center. Right. Oh, that sounds so horrible, but, <laughs> but in some ways is, is that the future, right? Cause that that's part of the problem. Yeah. 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 And wow. you know, there is the presumption of innocence. It, 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 this case is, is unique and specific. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And there's other things going on there, but for the majority of people, there's it's a year. You're a year in remand. You're a year in that system. That's right. And you haven't been proven guilty. And yeah. But they will do nothing. 
Queen's Park will do nothing to fix that aspect of it. Well, that seems to be the message of the day, and we're going to get more of that after the break when we start talking about the city <laughs> budget. You are listening to Open Sources Guelph here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And that's America's news hitmakers, Creedence Clearwater Revival. No, not actually, it's probably about 50 years old. I think the album is 1968. It's titled Creedence Clearwater Revival. The song is The Working Man. We played that song because working man John Fogarty finally got the rights back to his music after a 50-year battle. Mm-hmm. So I was hoping in playing that that he gets maybe a nickel, maybe an American nickel. I don't know. It's unlikely, but congratulations <laughs> to him. That's a long-fought thing. Congratulations to the working man. And uh, before we, we throw it to... Um, our guest of the week, who is from Guelph City Council, we got some sad news on Wednesday that uh, former Ward 1 Councillor Bob Bell passed away. Uh, it seems like it was quite sudden. And uh, so we just want to take a quick uh, moment to salute Bob Bell. He was a, a pretty vocal and enthusiastic advocate on council for active transportation. Um, I mean, he owned a bike company, so uh, why wouldn't he? Uh, obviously, it's it was something he was passionate about professionally and personally. Uh, when you would see Bob out and about, it was it was usually on a bike. Um, mm-hmm. So so he walked the walk, as it were. And uh, you know, it is kind of sad that you know he retires from council uh, a couple of months ago and and uh, only got a brief time to en- enjoy his retirement. So we wish him and his family all the best at this difficult time to talk about current councillors um people who are still fighting the good fight on city council uh we asked our old uh radio compadre and uh long-term associate phil alt to join us here on the show to talk about uh what's happening next week council which is the budget confirmation meeting for 2023 staff did seem to be able to shave off some of the ones and zeros to to get the the levy increase for next year up uh down a little bit but as we know the the pressures are substantial uh that are facing city council so uh phil alt and i had a chat about that and uh all the the factors that are going to be going into this budget discussion next week so um why don't we hit play on that interview uh, starting right now? Okay, Phil Alt, thank you so much for popping on with us again. Oh, thank you very much. Um, it's nice to be back and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. Um, although uh, th- we're going into uh, maybe less happier times, although uh, I, I, I personally don't get excited about budgeting because uh, math is not my forte, but uh 
you you are the the man in front of the audit committee so maybe you feel a bit differently but I, let me start with this um when we're talking about the ratification of the 2023 budget next week um what are the goals going to be what are your goals as an individual counselor and what do you think the collective goals of council are going to be that's a really good question. Uh, my goal is really simple, and that is for us to understand that this is a confirmation budget that was, uh, for all intents and purposes, approved by council last year, and the principle of the multi-year budget being approved, which was based on the strategic plan. So your introductory remarks about this being a ratification or a confirmation budget is very important. There should be very few changes and nothing uh, that is of any magnitude should be changed at all. If there's minor tweaks that need to be done on the budget, I can accept that. However, uh, it is not the time for us to be looking at uh, significant changes that uh, have an impact upon the budget or actually even on uh, the projected um, tax increase. Which uh, has already fallen by a couple of uh, percentage points due to just, you know, uh, I guess some of the work on, on staffs and um, I'm curious, though, from the sounds of it, there are maybe a couple of your colleagues who are planning some of those radical changes. Um, you know, in I guess in particular, we could talk more specifically about it later. But, you know, are you saying, I guess, that you don't want to look at like some really big, broad changes this year, you, like save it for the next multi-year budget? You You just kind of want to make this as simple as possible. I think it should be made as simple as possible. And the caveat being that there is room annually for us to make, quote, those big changes, provided that we structure them within the context of the strategic plan and policy. Uh, uh, do you remember when Kim Campbell said an election is no time to be talking about issues? <laughs> well, a budget is no time to be talking about programs. If we wish to create program in between budgets, even uh, on an annual basis, that's perfectly okay. And then we modify the budget accordingly. But to do them at budget time with very little, almost zero uh, possibility for the public to have any input on this or for us to study them effectively or to have the staff come back with a re reasoned argument either for or against something, we are, are playing games with uh, uh, our, I think, a fiscally sound approach to uh, to city budget. I wonder if that's always been the push-pull, though, because when you talk about the programs in the middle of the year, you know, it's usually with the council's desire to sort of get going right away on these programs, and then somebody will inevitably say, well, let's, like, remand that to, to budget time. And then, you know, it, it, I guess it's kind of thinking about it, you know, at, in two different ways, right? You know, trying to separate the program yeah. from the fiscal. Like, how can you have the rake out about the program without having the, the requisite talk about having uh, or making sure that the money's put aside for it as well? It, it almost seems like when, when you're talking about the program on its own and then maybe the budget comes around and the money isn't there or the justification isn't there, you've kind of made a promise that you can't keep, right? And that would be the case if we did not actually tie a particular policy or program to a particular uh, dollar 
amount, for example, uh, something that's near and dear to your heart is transit improvements. If, in fact, we were to entertain transit improvements, say, in March of this year, that should come. Uh, first of all, it should be forwarded back to staff to determine what the cost is, then come back to council for ratification with a dollar amount that would go to the budget. And then we could tweak it in, in an appropriate fashion with the support of uh, of our staff. And this is one of my problems. We've had a number of different uh, motions that have come to us quite literally over a weekend uh, in which we've been asked to take money from reserves. And I am more and more inclined to vote against those, not because I don't believe in a particular principle, but because it's bad financial management. And mm. ultimately, um, with uh, no apologies for the words that I'm going to use, uh, they will bite both uh, the community and council in the arse if we're not careful, because once we uh, set aside funds for something, we need to be able to deliver, not just annually, but over the long term. And if we can't deliver that, then essentially we are discrediting our capacity to create policy and to budget appropriately. Right. And it's after five o'clock, so I think we can lose the R. But um, <laughs> what... You mentioned the transit example, which I think is kind of a good example of sort of how this is supposed to work, right? There was the transit, the the sketch. I can't remember its its technical name, but the schedule and service update that came forward in November 2021. It comes with a price tag per year, and then the the dollar amounts for the first two years, which were recovered by the multi year budget, then go to the budget meeting for ratification. Council approves the direction and then approves the money, and that's kind of the way it should be. Yes, absolutely. And this is why I'm I'm struggling with what seems on the surface to be a very positive program, which is to provide uh, uh, further free transit for youth and perhaps free transit for seniors as well. In principle, I'm not opposed to that, but that must be budgeted appropriately to ensure is something that you wrote about in, in the past, that we also provide a service which people want to take and which can actually get people to where they want to go. The first thing that we should be actually examining is what do we need within the city and what does it cost to make certain that we get there? Then we should be looking at how we can reduce the layout for people using transit so that we make it appealing. But it's not just that. If we want to get tangential, we need to make certain that we uh, eliminate the understanding that many people have that transit is for people who can't afford any other way of getting around and make transit the uh, the number one uh, approach to uh, to getting uh, getting around uh, long distances and and tie it to active transit and various uh, modes of transit, including bicycles and uh, walking. We could talk about transit all day, and I don't. Uh, I, it's not that I don't want to, but we. I just want to <laughs> move us along to um, the mayor's proposed levy um, that he's talked about it on social media and and to to a degree in the media as well about uh, this. You know, one or two percent um, to to essentially raise funds for things that the province should be covering. Um, that uh, you know, things like homelessness and mental health and addictions and these things. <laughs> Given what you've, what we've all just kind of laid out, this is. It sounds like he's going to be bringing this to the to the budget meeting. From your point of view, is this the right time to be talking about it, or should this be, you know, 
laying out as as we kind of indicated, laying out a program first, and then bringing this to the next multi-year budget. Great question. And um, I, with a caveat that I want to state that initially I thought that this was not a bad idea, that we needed to act like Joseph did in the Old Testament and put aside money in good years for lean years. But the more I thought about that, the more I realized that's problematic. Uh, this isn't the Old Testament and I'm not Joseph. Uh, rather, I'm a member of a city council that needs to deal with the realities of modern budgeting and modern finances and a recalcitrant provincial government that is not necessarily reluctant to put into place the programs that uh, we need. Um, I'm going to start, first of all, with Bill 23. What Bill 23 has done is established a new normal, and that new normal is financial confusion. At the city right now, we have not established what Bill 23 means for our financing of programs, everything from development to parklands to buses to um, to city taxes. And so consequently, for us to be considering a levy at this point is very premature, especially on top of an already uh, almost guaranteed 5% approximately tax increase. What we do is we thereby become accomplices to the principle of downloading of services and uh, downloading of, of costs. And this is something that to me is exactly the opposite of what we should be doing. Rather, we should be working with other communities to say, no, put the brakes on this. The provincial government has the responsibility to tax and finance appropriately and not throw it onto the uh, uh, the municipal taxpayers, which are property owners. And this is really, really key. Property taxes are the most regressive form of taxes that there are. We should be looking at a provincial government that thoughtfully addresses income tax and thoughtfully addresses where we spend our money. This becomes even worse for me with the most recent proposals about healthcare and, uh, and day surgeries or alternative surgeries being provided outside of hospitals. I heard today that the provincial government is going to cap those surgical costs at whatever it costs in a hospital plus $150. Mm. This to me is really concerning because we right now have a hospital levy in Guelph. I'm not inclined to support anything more to support the hospitals at this point until we sort out what our responsibilities are within the Canada Health Act and how we address what I think ostensibly is a form of downloading to consumers of health care that they get through uh, through clinics and actually offsetting uh, the cost of those clinics by $150 per, per procedure. That's not good sound financial management and it is not uh, an appropriate form of being an accomplice for me to do that. I mean, I, I think that uh, uh, Bonnie Barrow was a better accomplice than I'll be if I become the accomplice to uh, to the the finance minister of Ontario on, on downloading through Bill 23 and everything else. It's, it, you know, a lot of this strikes me something you identified uh, last year during one of the the planning debates um, about a student residence where the days in is, and you made the mm -hmm. point, and I think a lot of people have caught up with you since, that it seems like we're subsidizing housing at the U of G, and maybe to a certain extent Conestoga as well. Um, U of G opens its doors to thousands of more students. They don't have the space for them, and it becomes sort of the city's responsibility, and, and that's the responsibility of sort of like 
neighbors looking out for one another and trying to find accommodation for their friends who have children coming to town for university or building new developments. And and it just seems like we're kind of getting hammered from all directions. We're getting hammered from the Ministry of Municipal Affairs, the Ministry of Health, the Ministry of Education, Ministry of Colleges and Universities. And I guess, uh, I don't know what the question is, but it, it just seems like um, we're kind of being reminded constantly that the municipality is on the low end of the totem pole and all weight falls on it. Well, I think your question is, isn't downloading becoming ubiquitous? Yeah. And the answer would be yes, it is. Uh, this, this is the real problem. And, you know, I'm going to be I'm going to take the housing example. I have no issues with um, inclusive uh, zoning so that people can, in fact, do like Councillor Goller did and, and put a um, uh, an accessory unit in his backyard or anybody else does that. And they might do that for a number of different reasons, compassionate reasons to provide uh, housing for family um, or perhaps uh, compassionate reasons because they, they want to have more housing in the uh, in, in an area. And that, that makes sense to me. But uh, for in Bill 23, for the premier to state that this is going to be the answer to affordable housing is absolutely ludicrous. And credit to Councillor Gollert for understanding that he must pass on the costs of that particular accessory unit. And those those costs are high. I actually think that the accessory unit principle might backfire as people discover how much it's going to cost to actually uh, finance those units over the course of a mortgage. Uh, Gollers, <laughs> on a salary of $47,000 a year, he's no slumlord. Uh, yeah. let, let's be quite honest. <laughs> and uh, he's not going to be uh, making a whole lot of money off this. What he wants to do is to recoup his costs. And it's the provincial government's responsibility, and I, and I mean this quite seriously, to subsidize affordable housing to the point where it is affordable. If you want to down, if you want to drop, deflate the cost of rent, you need to put in thousands and thousands of units around the province. And that probably includes about 2000 units in Guelph that are affordable so that the competition is not at the top end, the competition's at the bottom end. Um, but what we do see is that downloading is occurring. It's 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 occurring where uh, municipalities must incur costs. It didn't start with this government, but this government has uh, become very experienced at it uh, for everything from court services to housing to hospitals, and uh, it's got to stop somewhere. Uh, neither municipalities nor consumers can afford uh, what is being thrown at them, whereas a progressive uh, income tax system that provides the funding for all of these things and actually builds hospitals uh, could do that. I'm going to I'm going to finish my rant with a comment about <laughs> hospitals. By the way, sure, sure. Uh, right now in the city of Guelph, we are looking for the possibility of building a new hospital within the next ten years. My question is, why are we building a new hospital if we are offloading operations to the private sector? Mm. Shouldn't we be looking at the uh, the effectiveness, the value of this hospital that we currently have right now within the context of that offloading two or three years down the road. Now, what we're doing is, is that uh, we are we're playing with public policy and, um, uh, you know, we are uh, we don't we don't know whether to uh, to to play the saxophone or play the guitar on this one. <laughs> it strikes I wanted me a polite metaphor. <laughs> Fair enough. I've. One of the things that I've been thinking about too, though, is 
um, the we're we're trying to find solutions, and and I I appreciate how Mayor Guthrie is is and you mentioned Councillor Gollard too. They're, they're trying to be creative in in terms of the things we can do as a as a city or things they can do as individuals too. It makes me think though, the more we kind of you know reach out and find our own solutions, whether that's the levy or whether that's things like the court service support worker or the welcoming streets initiative or impact. These solutions we find within the community, the community pulls up its bootstraps in order to initiate. The more we're also proving to upper levels of government that, you know, if you push us, we can come up with solutions that we can, you know, scrape by and fund on our own. And maybe we don't really need your help in the first place. Excellent question. And I think that that's really, really where my, where my concern lies. It's not so much that we can afford them in the long term, but in the short term, we might be able to scrape together the money. What we've done in the past is that we have raided from our reserves. And this is, uh, to my mind, a real concern. The reserves are healthy right now. At some point, they're not going to be healthy. What we have done and what the mayor has constantly done is that this will not affect the bottom line on taxes because we're taking it from a levy taking it from a reserve that works now but at some point those reserves will be depleted what i'm actually going to propose to our um, um our clerk's office is that when we revise our procedural bylaw i'm going to put in a clause there that states that no motions can come forward that have a dollar value fixed to them that are outside of um, the the program that is brought forward um, without it going back to staff for it to be costed and to determine what the long-term impact of that is. Because we're not dealing with the long-term impact. The real problem is that when we fund out of reserve right now, it goes into the budget for the next year and we de facto increase our budget. And uh, this is where we have problems. Remember, um, you know, Property taxes only uh, are about 5% of a person's actual tax burden, but they are the most accessible aspect of a tax burden that a person sees. There's not a thing you can do about income taxes at the provincial or the federal level or HST or petroleum taxes uh, or any of the others. But property taxes seem to be get, seem to get the brunt of the criticism. And yet, ironically, they're the least of our taxes. And ironically, they're the most regressive. Yeah, and because of that, I imagine the pressure is on, and not just for you, but for all your colleagues too. That you know, people see the number four point nine six percent, and they mm -hmm. go, "Holy, holy, you know what? Uh, you know, that's that's kind of out there." And I, I guess it also forces questions of affordability because I may be comfortable enough to say I can take, I can absorb that four point nine six percent, but there are other people who you know are kind of living by the skin of their teeth. You know, not all homeowners are are rich as they're quite right yeah they're 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 quite correct um just a, a good skill testing question for you adam oh uh, no when was the last time that you experienced a percentage increase in your income taxes aside from you know the millions you're making now as opposed to the the the, the amount you earned when you were in university when did any government actually increase our income tax rates and what happened to our hst and our gst rates a few years ago right well hst they they went down well, that's that's an absurd way to fund a, a country and a um, and a province. We we need 
to look at a progressive tax system. And um, as I say that, I'm going to talk out of both sides of my mouth. I also also believe that municipalities need to have the right to examine taxing beyond uh, property taxes. You know, we put a hotel surtax in, which is essentially what the entertainment levy is. And I don't have a problem with that. But why do we not have the right to impose a petroleum tax at the pumps? Hmm. Why also do we not have the right to charge a toll for non-residents on highways that go through Guelph? I mean, if uh, the provincial government could sell off Highway 407, why does a consortium in Spain have the right to charge people for using a road? And yet the roads that we must maintain in the city of Guelph must be paid for by the city of Guelph. And yet some of them are provincial highways. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Woodlawn Road, York Road. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it, it all comes down to, I mean, you, you said this already. We don't fully understand the, the full financial implications of bill 23. And yeah. I guess, you know, we, we're kind of in a way we've kind of never understood the full financial implications of, you know, for years, all this downloading, like going all the way back to the nineties that we're, mm-hmm. we're kind of, it, it's, we're kind of getting it from both ends. We don't know what's going to happen in the future finances. We're kind of now just really fully understanding what happened it, at, when they started downloading in the nineties. We're kind of really stuck right now. And there's no one at Queens park who seems ready to listen to cities about, their, their concerns either yeah and there, there's a good reason for that it's it's not sexy mm. to raise taxes but it's really appealing to drop taxes or to hold the level on them and so uh, the provincial government's got a great formula they're not raising your taxes except that they are they're raising them on on the other end, and they're raising them with that regressive property tax that we all uh, have. Well, stuck between a rock and a hard place as we began this interview. But Phil Alt, uh, I always appreciate your insights, and uh, thanks for sharing them with us today. Well, I hope it's a happy new year. I, I you know, I, I hope things do become clearer than the weather outside. I'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, moving forward, we have a number of challenges ahead of us. Uh, nobody is opposed to addressing those challenges, but we need to address them based on reason and logic and actually in accordance with the principle of uh, looking after the city and the taxpayer's wallet. Well, I'm going to be a cynical journalist and say good luck with that. Oh, I'm going to be a cynical politician and say (laughs) I'm not going to take that bet. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Phil. Okay, take care. So once again, that was Phil Alt. Uh, the budget meeting uh, starts at 9 a.m. on Wednesday, which means an early morning for me. I was say, live tweeted by Guelph Politico. That's right. Who <laughs> will be very, very uh, under, under underwhelmed because, uh, boy, you know, starting at 9 o'clock instead of the usual noon. Oh, let me tell you. Um <laughs> Right, aka regular hours. <laughs> aka regular hours. That's right. <laughs> um. Anyway, that's it for this week's show. We hope you liked it. You can stay connected to us at our website, opensourcesguelph.com. You can find us on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire and on Twitter at os underscore guelph. If you'd like to listen to this show again, you can find it on our website every Monday. You can get it at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean. 
or your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, or you can check out my news and politics site at GuelphPolitico.ca. Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Twitter, and Mastodon. And if you're listening to us on the FM right now, please stay tuned for Turtle Island Underground. Mm-hmm. And there's always great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. And uh, we will be taking the next week off because of special CFRU programming. And uh, so we will see you in two weeks time. Same bat time, same bat channel. And uh, we will see you then. Thank you.